Hello. Hello, and welcome back to This Is... Oh, I messed it. How did you mess it? It sounded good to me. Oh, okay. This is not... (laughs) History. Lecture. There we go. (laughs) It's been a day, guys. We had unexpected, intense storms all day. Yeah. Um, And and that meant that I ended up doing nothing I should have done. I was going to say, days when I work all day, we could technically take breaks at the same time. You're right. At the Mayborn. I don't... How long are your breaks, though? Well, I guess... Legally, I only take a 15-minute break. Well, I took a 30-minute break because I don't work for the man. (laughs) You tell him, girl. (laughs) Well, even if you have a 15-minute break, then we could still... We could still meet up. Yeah. Um, Today, I started a new job at the same museum. We Um, just keep bouncing around this, like, different jobs within our own building. Yeah. Which is good because, you know, diversity of experience... But um, I'm tired. It was a lot of walking. A lot it's more than my other a job at museum. It, human interaction than you're used to. Well, mm, yes and no. I'm not like, it's not, because a lot of it was just like, hey, how are y'all doing today? And like yeah. ask, answering questions. Like it's not yeah. that big of a deal. So like, it's not like I can't do it. It's just a lot more walking than I'm used to because like literally I like walk around. I'm like the, like my position is to create a staff presence in the yeah. museum. So I have like an official staff shirt. Ooh, is it a polo? Please tell me it has an awful collar on it. It does. <gasps> yes, I want pictures. I will take pictures. Wait, it's the it's the regular like green staff shirt. I know, but I'm still gonna take pictures of you in a collar and polo. Are you kidding me? Oh my god. Well, I guess you'll have to meet up with me during breaks. We'll, we'll find a lunch break so, or something. Uh, like today, my <laughs> my like supervisor, she forgot to schedule my break, and I was like. Hey, um, I I need a break. <laughs> she was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> well, I'm starting the other one for the local historic society thing. Yeah, next week. That's my exciting. Boss was like, "Oh yeah, you you can do a eight hour shift these two days," and I was like, "Great," but eight to five is. I was like, "That's nine hours," because that's what I usually do straight without a break. Yeah, eight to five without a break. Legally, mm-hmm. I take two fifteens, but sometimes I forget to take a break. And I was <laughs> like, "That's math- for the man." <laughs> I'm a workaholic who avoids her issues and emotional problems by um, doing other things, and that distracts me. So yeah, well, you can still take a thirty-minute break. No, but the then I will think about my life. Oh my god, and just my bring failures. your laptop and write. True. Yeah, I should be doing that. Um, but anyway, and she was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, eight to noon, and then one to five. And I was like, "Oh, you're expecting me to take a break?" And I was like, "How do I gently break it to you that I don't think I've had lunch or a break in like the last like seven years?" <laughs> Uh, this is why our unions were created, Kat. I think. Think about all the people who fought to give right. you that right. All the women for, that picketed uh, the yeah, triangle shirt for your little fire. thirty minute break, and you're not taking it. You know you're right. It's disrespecting their memories. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It was my it's my first very full day of work that I've had in a long time. I yeah. work ten to five, so definitely not a nine hour day. Yeah. Usually we have but, like classes during the day, yeah. and we split our work between classes. So we'll mm-hmm. work like a couple hours in the morning, and then like yeah, go to class, then have a little bit of break class, and then work. So yeah. it is kind of an adjustment to just sit mm-hmm. in one desk for nine hours. Yeah, and well, the thing is too is like you're sitting in a desk. Like, I'm yeah. expected to be, like, up on my feet for nine hours well, that's, or for seven hours. That's the culture shock. Usually yeah. I am. But this past week, mm-hmm. we had a really weird, unusual situation for us. Yeah. And so we ended up on our feet 
um, in another museum and literally did not sit down other than a 30 minute break in the middle when I had to leave the building for legal reasons because there was no one else in there. So I had to like sit out, I like, sat outside and waited for the yeah. person with the key to come back. And other than that, literally didn't sit down for nine hours straight. Neither, yeah. neither did my coworkers. So yeah. like it's a rough day. It's like, it's weird just going from that yeah. desk kind of culture to like being up mm-hmm. around communicating and stuff. It's, yeah it's a shock well like i don't know i couldn't imagine a job where you just spent every day on your feet and i couldn't imagine a job where you just sit at a desk every day see i'm better at the feet one because i used to do yeah. like huge shifts like nine hour shifts uh-huh. at retail yeah and i can do that like my personality allows me to be around people that much but mm-hmm. like the desk one is was killing me that's why i was really glad we actually had this week yeah. it was in an unair conditioned building in texas <laughs> in the summer but yeah at least you're doing something better. yeah yeah, no, I I totally get that. And I think, honestly, like, if I had to pick, I would choose to be the interacting yeah. one. But, like, this was, like, much less interacting and more so of just, like, people seeing my staff shirt mm. and knowing that I was Ooh. working. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, hey, let me, like, do y'all want to interact with this activity that I have? Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything like that. It was much more of the other way. But it's a job. So, yeah. and I need a job so i can't complain too much yeah i know that's very valid but other yeah. than that my mom started listening oh did she really yeah um i was i called her on the phone today to tell her a little about what i've been doing in the last week at the museum and everything we got to talking and she was like oh by the way and she mentioned that she had listened to the first episode and i was like no why did you start with the first first episode episode. i was like you just we fall into a rhythm we're better at our research we're more comfortable and she was like yeah you were really giggly and i was like don't tell me that (laughs) oh my god i know my mom always has like comments she's like you need to say stop saying um and like and so and i was like listen i'm a woman those are my verbal loading times what are they called kneecapping sentences well like no like like when you like um yeah so hesitators or whatever they're called like yeah yeah. but yeah yeah. i refuse to back down on that because this is how i am in person and i'm not trying to change that yeah i'm giving the authentic me speaking of well not speaking of we are almost at 400 downloads so that's pretty cool um yeah (laughs) there we go with the um so 400 downloads we really appreciate everyone who's been listening. We do. It's now one of really those is cool. my mother. Now Kat's mom has officially joined the team, which is really great because I'm going to talk about sex today. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, not explicitly. Um, this is where I say, and I'll also repeat it again before I start my story, but like, if you listen with sensitive groups, aka children or your mom or your grandmother or any other person in your family who you think might be offended by discussion of sex i mean and it's funny very mildly sex is part of history yeah it really is influential part of history it's how history happens because then you can have children and then they can create history and then you don't all die out (laughs) really that's the one thing that we have in common with everybody in history yeah (laughs) um but yeah so just as a warning, maybe don't listen to this episode. We have lots of other episodes where we don't mention sex. Except for one, which apparently was the first one that our friend Emma listened to with her mother. 
and she was like, I oh, promise, no. <laughs> I promise I don't always talk about this stuff, which to be fair, it was, it, it was the one with the Chinese lady pirate. Oh. Um, and there was talking, I was talking about like the flower boats. Yeah. Like the, well, that wasn't even like, that explicit. I, it wasn't even that bad. And apparently she was like, oh no, my mom's here. And I was like, really? Cause that's like not that big of a deal, but I guess to each their own. Sorry, I'm switching over to my laptop. Okay, of I was like, a... did I just get an email? No, that was me. Um, for some reason, it's not loading on my other device, so I'm going to be using my laptop. I just got to pull it up. Wow, fancy. I well, got to mute it. But, yeah. Okay. Um, you pull it up. I'll keep talking. Mine doesn't have a lot of sexual content. Mine, mine is more conceptual, because when this is released, it will be Pride <laughs> Month. So, happy Pride to everyone. Month. Um, we obviously are very supportive of the LGBTQ plus community. Yes. Um, and we want to represent stories of gay people in history or events in gay history because that's very important because people have this idea that everyone in the past was, uh, exactly how people were in the 1950s. And that's not the idea. That's not the case at all. Yeah. Which I'm sure you've learned by now, but Mm -hmm. yeah. So... Let me know when you got those pulled up. Okay. It is. Okay. I've got it. All right. Well, let's go. Let's jump okay, into let's it. Let's do it. So I'm going to be talking about the HIV AIDS epidemic. Oh. So. Yeah. Not... We haven't discussed. Well, Kat knows what I'm doing because she always knows what I'm doing. But, but I don't know what yeah. Kat's doing a lot of the time. So I didn't so, know she was doing this. Yeah. It was a little bit darker. I thought about doing a person and I was like, I've, I've done a lot of people. So I'm trying yeah. to kind of. No, this is a rough subject. Events. And it's an important one because it is yeah. an example of something being used to demonify, de- demify, de- demonify, demonify, de- demonify. I don't no. know. Wait, so, demonize, demonize, demonize. <laughs> we said it like ten times last episode too, when we were talking about hatred, anti-Chinese American yeah, sentiment. So we did. Listen, we're not English majors or majors at all. We're not English people. No. No. we're not which is funny because i'm talking about a poet but uh no i literally forgot how to dispel the word necessary and i had to ask my boss who was right next to me you know the, the best thing i ever me. learned for necessary is that a shirt has one collar and two sleeves so necessary has one c and two oh, s's i, I saw that on like tumblr years ago and that's been the only reason why i know how to spell necessary i learned it after a trivia night where um, Ella actually, like, they were like, how do you spell these words? And it was like vacuum and stuff like that. Uh, and, vacuum always trips me up too. And she literally just goes, two S's, one C. And for some reason, after years of not being able to spell it, that did it for me. Yeah. But in this when you one now you have moment, an association. Yeah, but in that yeah. one moment when I actually needed it at work, I was like, of course, I have to be stupid in front of my boss, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. But well, yeah. that's always what I remember it by. One collar, two sleeves. That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Usually I just pronounce it weird in my head to try I'm and remember it. I'm an awful speller. If anyone ever saw my Google Docs I use for notes, it Same. would look real rough because I just don't bother to change like the autocorrect. That's a mood. <laughs> that is a big mood. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, I'll be talking about the HIV AIDS epidemic. Um, and I'll be clear, AIDS affects people all over the world and it does not hold back based on geography. It hit, It hit different parts of the world. Yeah. At different times and in different waves and to different severities. Um, I'll mostly be discussing the American aspect because it's Pride Month here and most of my sources had a really American bias to them and they reported those stats, even talking about it in a worldwide context. So yeah. I'm going to kind of, I'll mention the other countries and stuff, but America is going to be my main 
a place that I discuss it from the viewpoint of. And it was also mm-hmm. a huge focal point in the 80s here. It was a huge, it had a huge impact on the LGBTQIA plus community here. Yeah. So, Okay. So HIV stands for human immunodeficiency virus. It's actually a virus that causes your immune system to basically not work at full capacity. Again, as you know from our pandemic episode, we are not medical, we are not doctors, we are not STEM people, but I'm going to give this the best shot I can. So <laughs> You're going to do great. Oh, if I can you. do Spanish flu, you can do this. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. What is the official, I was thinking about that the other day, what is the like official term for Spanish flu? Because I've only ever heard of it referred as a Spanish it's the flu. It's H1N1. Okay. Influenza. Because if who has said, you know, like, we shouldn't call it mm-hmm. those things, I've never heard it called anything else. Yeah. I was, it, and in, like, real articles about it, like, I didn't see a lot of people referring to it as a scientific name, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure it's the H1N1 influenza virus. Okay. So, that's, yeah. like... The yeah. technical term? Okay. Yeah. Well, I feel like, in, historically, people know it wasn't a Spanish yeah. virus, so I don't mm-hmm. even, like, if you say the word Spanish virus, I don't even register at it as in connection with, like, Spain. I know. And I just think of it as, like, the virus that hit yeah. the U.S. really hard. And I think, because, like, oh, Spanish well. virus, or the Spanish flu is used to, to like, label that specific outbreak. And it was, like, that and not so much. History. Yeah, exactly. Not so much the disease as a whole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's kind of how I view it, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, your body can't naturally fight this one off without medication now. But nowadays, with modern developments, we can control it a lot better. AIDS, on the other hand, is more of a condition than a virus. So, mm-hmm. I didn't understand this difference until I dove into it. But basically, HIV can cause infection, but AIDS is caused by contracting HIV. Mm. So basically, it becomes AIDS when HIV has caused so much damage to your immune system that you, like, can't fight off viruses. So Makes I think it's sense. called, like, stage 3 HIV is okay. how far it has to go before it becomes AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's asymptomatic because when your immune system is down, you get other things that present differently so like if you like if your immune system shot in the winter and you get the flu and strep at the same time someone's gonna be like uh wait what what are you sick with and you can't really Mm -hmm. say it's the same thing she has or she has because you got strep on top of the same flu or something gotcha so um when your body can't fight off infections correctly like tuberculosis or pneumonia it becomes those become like deadly issues so now we can manage those effects, but back then it was almost like a, it was a death sentence, you know, to yeah. get diagnosed with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, HIV is transmitted through the sharing of bodily fluids, and that involves unprotected sex, sometimes mother to infant during pregnancy or breastfeeding, blood transfusions, and sharing injection equipment. So when HIV first showed up and was starting to kind of like turn into AIDS and everything, the first doctor's to really notice it were in Southern California and it was disproportionately affecting gay men in large numbers. And they saw mm-hmm. this disease show up with hemophiliacs and people, drug users that um, switch needles and stuff and share yeah, needles because mm-hmm. they didn't realize what was happening. Yeah. There's evidence that it, th- that it kind of existed since the 1920s that there may have been a case or two that early but most places i did research attribute the first case actually in like the 60s that originally it was transferred from some sort of primates like a chimp to humans yeah and 
there's this long-standing rumor that a French Canadian airline employee was the patient zero. And yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, and he. Yeah, and his name was yeah. used for a really long time to, mm-hmm. and it was like he was straight up demonized as well. And it's yeah. kind of like the typhoid Mary thing, mm-hmm. except I think typhoid Mary did actually bring yeah. it with her. This man, yeah. it was a total, totally not true. He was not it sounds the like first person such, to get like it. A, yeah, like an urban legend. Like, yeah. It sounds completely made up. Well, and they think that he may have transported it to the northern, like North America, but he mm-hmm. was definitely not the first person with AIDS and he yeah. would not have been the only person to bring it to America. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was like one of the most hated people ever, basically in the, that, in the epidemic. And he eventually died from AIDS and it really became prevalent and widely paid attention to in the eighties. Cause that's when it gained recognition as a health issue. Mm-hmm. It's 1981 and major metropolitan areas like San Francisco um, a lot of them are havens for LGBTQIA plus communities because the rest of the world is not going to be as okay with you expressing your sexuality and finding your community. So it's in places like New York as well. Um, mm-hmm. Anywhere there's centralized communities. Yeah, for well, it, it also just makes sense that it's showing up more in cities because mm-hmm. population dis- density. Uh, military cities. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Like where ships dock. Mm. It was, there's a correlation there yeah, a bit. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, a lot of gay men and mm-hmm. enlisted and mm-hmm. yeah and so mm-hmm. um san francisco is really where they saw the first huge groups um but there's also an outbreak in haiti which confused haiti, like the island mm-hmm. oh interesting and it really threw off doctors at first because yeah. they thought th- the primary infection groups were just homosexual um hemophiliacs yeah. and heroin users mm. and haiti when they add it to the list, they have this thing about like the big four or something like that. Cause they all start with H or whatever, mm. but it really threw them off. Cause they're like, what is this thing? And it's not affecting the right population that we were expecting. How did it get here? And so that kind of put them back in their understanding at first, but it kind of spirals out of control in this panic. And they're like, it's deadly. We don't know how you contracted it. It's highly contagious. And people, the general populace is just freaking out. And there's a lot of fear, not just of the disease, but of the populations that are contracting it more quickly, like the homosexual population. Um, And, you know, like I said, hemophiliacs are getting it because blood transfusions weren't checked like they are Mm -hmm. now, not as thoroughly at least. So um, they're getting uh, transfusions and uh, drug users are uh, getting it at a higher rate and somehow even immigrants get blamed with it because America has a problem with racism as well as homophobia. <laughs> There's no reason. I don't know if it's because the French Canadian, uh, it's that racist logic. It's yeah. It yeah. can't ever be us. It no, has to be it, someone else. It has to be someone else and I'm going to justify it, even though it makes absolutely no sense. And I'm sure that they talk about like the airline worker as mm-hmm. an example, like people brought it into our country, more could be bringing it. And yeah. they really probably demonize that as well i'm gonna use that word a lot because that's exactly what happened to the whole community during this um but it took a while for the doctors to kind of connect the dots on what these infectious diseases were and how hiv turned into aids so that's again one of the problems that comes along with something being asymptomatic it being new and unseen and it's getting carried along with the stereotype that's making them not expect it to show up in other people where it is because yeah well not to mention too i'm sure that doctors when presented with a patient with aids who are homophobic oh yeah just like ignore yeah yeah and yeah 
and it, it's that's the problem is there's a complete apathy yeah about it when it's because it's oh it's it doesn't affect us mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. even as it spreads to people who and I, aren't homosexual yeah this like the the community doesn't care because yeah. it's not well, it, it's, too, because it's getting portrayed as a homosexual yeah virus. exactly and well too i'm sure with like the rampant like revival of christian and like and are you gonna talk about it a little bit yeah but like with the revival of christianity and specifically like evangel uh, evangelistic yeah, christian yeah, yeah, denominations yeah. Uh-huh. they're like oh well that's just god telling them that's exactly what happens yep I'll, I'll hit a section on it later, but you nailed it. 80s were also a wild time. <laughs> I know, like, well, that's what happens when you put sexual revolution coming yeah. out of wars and coming uh-huh. out of all this, man, the 80s. Wouldn't want to live there, but I could totally go back for like oh a day God. and just sit there and just be like, to, oh my gosh. Just to hang out. Just to hang out and observe. Yeah. Because one day I want to do an episode on the satanic, satanic panic. Please do. So, Have you written it down? Tell me you wrote it down. I wrote it down. Okay. I've, already, I've had it written down from like the first time I wrote ideas down. That would be cool to do yeah. in comparison with the Salem Witch Trials. Oh, that would we be. We should do the comparison <gasps> episode. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Off topic, but... Relative nonetheless. Yes. You'll be hearing about that in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> what if I did Satanic Panic and you did, like, the Iran-Contra affair? <laughs> 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 I think that would be a great episode. <laughs> oh, oh, my, my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I know. That's a good idea. <laughs> We make for a very interesting podcast. How are we going to title that? Oh, there's probably some terrible, terribly inappropriate <laughs> puns we could make or something. so many. Ugh. So, yeah. Um, the fact that it was first showed up in mass around homosexuals creates this awful stigma that it was a disease for gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first cases are popping up when activists were just starting to push for things like regal, legal recognition of marriage. And so this just puts them, the whole LGBTQIA plus community just pushes them back. And it's a setback. It's for their progress towards any kind of rights. Um, yeah. And the whole LGBTQIA plus civil rights movement is already being attacked by people like Anita Bryant and... <sighs> Oh my god. That's a trip. I didn't know anything oh about god. that we until... We have to do... You didn't know anything about Anita no. Bryant? No. I don't know how, but I'd Wait. never heard of this woman before. Oh my god. Anita Bryant and Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly? I, oh, Phyllis I, Schlafly can suck my dick. <laughs> she put women back so far. We have to do an episode like one of us does, like Gloria Steinem, and then the other okay. one does... There's a show called Miss America with Kate Blanchett in it on Hulu. I've, that looks oh good. Oh my gosh. Is it so good? good? So good. And <sighs> I put Phyllis Schlafly in her debate yeah. on my list because I was like... Oh, we have to do an episode yeah. where it's like Phyllis Schlafly versus yeah. another like figure she was Yeah, versus. it was... Okay, we'll do, it. we'll do it. We have to. If you don't know who Phyllis Schlafly is, she is like the figurehead of the anti-feminist, like... Not even feminist, just anti-woman's rights rights movement. it was specifically with the era so the equal rights amendment she is like the single-handedly like one of the main causes why we don't have the era passed today and the era is the equal rights rights yeah. act so it would ensure that women legally have to get paid as it's much not as an act it's an amendment that's true yeah yeah, yeah you're right sorry yeah. um it would guarantee legally that women have to be paid the mm-hmm. same have to get the same rights in the workplace the protections and phyllis schlafly and well let's, let's be clear like we believe between the two of us, I'm going to speak for us here and say that 
as far as feminism goes, it's the right to be whatever you want as a woman. If that's yes. a stay-at-home mom, that's totally fine. Absolutely. Like, if you want to stay home and raise kids and not work, that is totally fine. But Absolutely. women who do want to work should have the same protections as men. Absolutely. So that's yeah. where we're coming from. We're not talking mm-hmm. bad on women who choose to stay home and live a more traditionally domestic life. Like, yeah. we're not looking down on that. Mm-hmm. And but, this, I mean, this amendment, what it does, which I'm sure we'll cover, which we definitely are if we talk about Felicia Lafley, but what it does is just guarantee constitutionally that there is no discrimi- mm-hmm. discrimination based on gender. Like, there are laws, but there's not a constitutional amendment. Right. Um, and Phyllis Lafley is the, probably, probably the, the biggest reason. Yeah, she, reason. She create not created, mm-hmm. but she spearheaded the whole movement to stop the ER from yep. being passed. And we were so close in the 70s, y'all. Or the 80s, whenever. But anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah, I didn't know who Anita Bryant was, but yeah. I did some Googling and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this woman was pushing that so hard. Yeah. Um, and then there's Jerry Falwell, who promotes the idea of this moral majority. He's a televangelist. Moral majority. Mm-hmm. Oh. You want to recap Ooh. him on that? No. Well, so the moral majority is, is it like, it's like the silent majority idea, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's this concept that there that is created by Christians, specifically even evangelical Christians in the eighties, that there is this moral majority of the country, and this moral majority is like good white Christian Republican, and they are being overshadowed by mm-hmm. the loud, and, and so it kind of goes into the silent majority idea. So they're being overshadowed by the loud, um, democratic like more left-leaning people who were all for this hedonistic behavior Mm -hmm. of like you know drugs alcohol being gay and it's just bullshit (laughs) yeah it's it and it goes with that satanic panic and it goes with this rise of like what we now see as like very conservative evangelical christianity that we have today yeah yeah um yeah so yeah there are people that are like (laughs) actively pushing against this stuff mm-hmm. and and um mm-hmm. it doesn't help that the misinformation on the issue and there's bad connotations around just being gay in general um so yeah they're, they're taking hits left and right both from the medical community who is outright also yeah not contradicting this stuff the mm-hmm. government isn't helping them no. they're they're kind of on their own yeah i've heard a lot of stories where it's just you were put in a bed to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's very much what some of the personal accounts I was looking at said that yeah. like, and they like, you know, a lot of these people don't, some of these people, I shouldn't say a lot, but many of these people don't have a, like a community or family structure to turn to. A lot of them had to leave that behind when they yeah. came out or went to, they went to these places mm-hmm. to find that community. And so they're like, Watching their friends die, knowing there's literally nothing they can do, and knowing that some of the doctors aren't even trying. Yeah. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah. I would say a lot of the doctors aren't even trying. Yeah. Um, and like you said, no one, there's just apathy around it because it's not our problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they don't even know what to call this medical issue at first. So it, it becomes like medically, scientifically, they're calling it a gay related issue or gay cancer. Um, some have called it a community-acquired immune dysfunction. There's, like, names for it that are just blatantly have the term homosexual or gay in it. And and so a lot of the homosexual population and drug users are just getting 
treated awfully by the rest of the U.S. Yeah. It's just straight-up discrimination. And at the height of the HIV-AIDS epidemic, the U.S. mortality rate was, like, pretty much just 100%. Jeez. Like, you got this, and it was a death sentence. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, of course, that would scare <sighs> other people if you don't understand how it's getting passed. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until 1986 slash kind of the beginning of 87 that the FDA approves a clinical trial with the first drugs that eventually, I think it's the same drug that would become AZT, which mm-hmm. is what we use now, mm-hmm. that would at least stop the HIV virus from replicating and in your, once it's already in your system. Yeah. It became so effective that the FDA stopped their clinical trials because they thought it was unethical that the patients getting the placebo thought they were getting the treatment and weren't so they literally oh. it, it went so well wow that they were like we cannot ethically tell these people they're getting this and then they're not getting oh, it oh yeah because they're they're also gonna know like if every mm-hmm. single person in your con- like your group and then there's a control group and everything and then you realize you're the only one not getting better you'd be like well yeah. straight up i know which one i got like, yeah that's true yeah interesting um and a couple weeks back, Kaylee mentioned during our plague episode how WHO, the World Health Organization, I'm going to call it WHO. We call it WHO, right? Who? Like, yeah, okay, who? that's what I called it during, yeah. have been calling it during COVID. I just wasn't sure mm-hmm. if it's supposed to be pronounced individually or not. Um, but it encourages people not to label diseases with an ethnic group or country. But in this case, they, they kind of, they had to stay away from it because the groups start broadening. Um, it's not just the gay community after a while. It's not just hemophiliacs. It's not uh, people who are sharing needles. It's it's spreading to people of different backgrounds, and it's it's not discriminating in any way who it infects anymore. So Jerry Falwell, the televangelist at the time, has a national broadcast in which he reiterated what a lot of conservative Americans were saying, but now he has a natural, national platform. Mm-hmm. And he basically comes out and says that the AIDS epidemic was retribution by God for the sin of homosexuality, yep. homosexuality and drug use. Yep. So he tries to knock out two communities with one stone, which, which this is, is so also Christian. A time, yeah. Which is so mm-hmm. Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, and this, the war on drugs is has a long and complicated history and it's also about i always recommend the documentary 13th but there's a very interesting history of Mm -hmm. criminalizing drugs in the u.s and targeting demographics because they use a specific drug yeah and so drug use instead of treating it like a public health issue that can be fixed and cured with treatment Mm -hmm. and help begins this it's especially now you're pairing it with homosexuality which is not a sin which is not a bad thing which is not something that should be legally an issue mm-hmm. and they're trying to conflate it yeah with with drug each use other and, and yeah and they're not comparable and, things no. they're not they don't one is bad for your health and sh- should be treated like a health issue one is a way of life and a completely acceptable one and yeah a relationship among two consenting adults w- what how unhealthy <laughs> That's is so, that oh my two god people that love each other wow yeah god should definitely <laughs> smite them <laughs> for having a consensual relationship oh my gosh uh. <sighs> Yeah, child brides. We're not even pedophilia. We're not gonna even. Well, I can't go down that road today, guys. I'm Whoa. gonna be here for a long time. I know. I, I was gonna comment on the 
were on drugs, but then I was like, no, we don't have time for that. That's like a that's a you whole episode. A whole podcast for that. Yeah. Like, they oh, I'm sure are. there is. Yeah, it's it's a very it, long history, and so yeah, yeah. Jerry Falwell is um can go screw himself, but he uses this platform and it reaches a ton of people who don't understand still what it is. They just know it as a gay disease and yeah. that's what he reiterates and that's what mm-hmm. he tells them is going to I mean it's it's it becomes yeah. this is what's going to happen to you if you yeah you know enter into a homosexual relationship mm-hmm. and it's fearmongering. Exactly. And yeah. it's so much easier to think it's gay people that are sick with this, so I'm safe. It's better mm-hmm. than walking. People would rather think it's only going to happen to the other yeah. than me because yes. I'm I'm a good, righteous person, and I'm scared mm-hmm. of getting this public health issue, and I don't understand where it's coming from. It's better to demonize people and feel safe in your everyday life to them yep. than to yep. look deeper into the issue and understand. Mm-hmm. So... These sentiments aren't just from religious communities either, though. There's policies around America that change just out of fear from what's going on. Um, I mentioned the moral majority concept earlier, and Ronald Reagan was a ally for that movement. Yes, he was. Um, and there's this huge medical crisis that activists are calling on for help. They're desperate, and the government's not devoting time or money to helping them, and they're still legal rules in some states that criminalize homosexuality this time i believe yeah. i mm-hmm. i think it's probably i don't i think over 50 percent of the u.s had probably decriminalized it at this point but yeah it's still well, especially I think in the states south had i think states had laws against it until 2015 when the when the decision got made by the supreme court oh you're right okay yeah like i think maybe not a lot of states but i can guarantee you there were still some states that illegalized Is that the oberfell decision um, Oberfeld it was June of verse... 2015. I don't I remember the, the name of the court case. case, but it was the court case that determined, okay. yes, gay people can get married in the United States because they are citizens and entitled to human rights, human rights, yeah. just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you think. Um, it's crazy that it took us that long to get there. but right. Yeah. And in 82, um, Larry Speaks, he was a press secretary for Reagan at this time. He's in a press conference and he's asked about the president and his reaction to the epidemic. Like what, you know, people yeah. want to know, what are you doing? How are you yeah, keeping track of this? Yeah, because it's a big part of his population, mm-hmm. as you would expect to ask a president about. Mm. Well, we just <laughs> lived through a president who had some very interesting press conferences, so nothing shocks Well, let me, me tell anymore. you, let me tell you, we got to Trump and Reagan started us down that path. Of not being the able road... to hold your own press conference? No, no, no. The road to Trump started <laughs> oh. with Reagan. Oh, yeah. Just like how um, uh, the Twin Towers ended up causing Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Go look up that theory on the internet if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, it's fascinating. Um, well, if we want to take it farther back, we can also say, like, the CIA and... The creation of the CIA creation of the CIA caused Fifty Shades of Grey. And we, we, can, we can follow that rabbit hole a long oh, yeah. way down. Like we, like we were talking about the other week, history is one huge butterfly effect. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, Speaks, when asked about Reagan's reaction to the AIDS epidemic, basically makes a joke out of it and just brushes it off. Reagan doesn't even publicly talk about the issue in his own words until 85, when well over 10,000 Americans are already dead. Oh, and tons more are infected and are going yeah. to die if there's yeah. not a cure or a treatment. When he finally does talk about it, it's 
strangely, oddly enough, in correlation with when the hemophiliac and hemophiliac population and other um, other populations start getting affected. So he's kind of like, oh, I guess I gotta of act course. like I care because, of course. yeah, yeah, it's gonna look bad if I don't say something about my population dying. <laughs> what? No, we haven't seen someone rejecting an epidemic when his population. It's oh my gosh, I just that I, I just got the parallel. Okay, I told you. We're not gonna deny epidemics anymore, guys. Let's the treat... reason reason the Republican Party is what it is today is Ronald Reagan is started with Ronald Reagan. Not shocked. And a lot of people, like a lot of political scientists, I've heard that a lot of places. Hmm. So interesting. Interesting to read up on. I would actually read up on that. Sounds interesting. I'll go look at that. Because I mean, both political parties are a shit show. Oh, no one's doing. But hot I think right we're now. like watching the de-evolution of the Republican Party. I think like we're watching the we... evolution of the bipartisan. Oh, we absolutely are. Especially after today's decision. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are expecting. Um, wait, what happened today? The Republicans blocked the Independent Commission on the January 6th investigation. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. And so, and a lot of Republicans were talking about how, like, if certain things happen in the next couple of years, they will, like, reject and kind of try to start their own movement, which would be interesting, but it will end the bipartisan system as we know it. And that's exactly what happened when Lincoln won. Lincoln did not have over 50% of the population's Mm -hmm. vote, but the opposing party split its vote and didn't have the power to vote against him. Mm -hmm. And that's what's, that's I think why people are so scared of the bipartisan system splitting, because like if you split it inherently, the other person will win unless you get a huge following. Yeah. Well, I mean, people are saying that it's going to just turn into Republicans and in like a traditional sense. And oh, then yeah. Trump, Trump, Trumpers, yeah. Trumpers, yeah. Trumpists, whatever you would call that. Oh, but trumpet, trumpet players. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, maggots. But... <laughs> Did you say band kids? Maggots. I was thinking trumpet players like band kids, but. No, because it's MAGA. So maggots. <laughs> Have you never heard no, that? I've never heard really? that. Really? Oh, it's what? so good. I feel bad calling them a derogatory term, but they I did mean, put it on the hats. They put it on their own hats. A lot of them are kind of asking for it with their behavior. I was about to say, we don't like that term. I don't like that terminology because that's really reminiscent of like rhetoric that they I've seen conservatives use for women in sexual assault situations. Yeah, that's true. But calling them a maggot is very different from that's, that's victim fair. blaming. <laughs> We're from the South, guys. We watched a lot of our own families and friends vote for Trump. Um, I'm not... Listen, 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 listen. I think a lot of people would know that I don't call them maggots because they're good people supporting someone I don't like. I call them maggots maggots because a lot of them are bad people supporting someone I don't like. Ah, I see. You know what I mean? Like, it's... I don't actually... Well, I don't know. It's... Now I feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) I... Yeah, it's in an incredibly politically charged time. Yes. It's it's an interesting relationship to have with people who Yeah. Watching like your own rights being infringed on is a very yes. difficult thing, and I don't think that a lot of people who like I have family members who voted for Trump. Mhm. And I have to know, I have to live knowing. Yep angrily that they voted against things that actively they Uh they voted for things that actively hurt my way of life and Mm -hmm. they didn't care or they didn't take into account or they realized that those human rights weren't important enough 
to vote the other way or to support someone else. I don't even, yeah. like, even if you voted for Trump in the first round because he wasn't that bad yet, like, I'd, I'd get it. But, like, yeah. there was a lot that happened that it's it's hard to be supportive of that when you watched your own mm-hmm. your own personal rights be well yeah attached. i think and i think a lot of people would agree with that and i think a lot of like when i say trump supporters i don't mean like republicans because i know a lot of people just voted on party lines and unfortunately the yeah. choice they had was trump yeah and that sucks he should not have been in that position in the first place so like okay i still shouldn't have voted for him but like i guess i can excuse that I, I had family a little members bit. that switched parties for this election yeah. because they were so disgusted with how the Republican exactly. Party just followed It's not Trump. an excuse, but I guess it's a reason. The yeah. people who are like, die hard, like Donald oh. Trump can do no wrong. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's what I would call a maggot. <laughs> I can get a little more on board with that. <laughs> yeah. Not just people who voted for Trump. Yeah. People who like literally idolized the man. Yeah. That... Yeah, politicians should never be idolized. By the way, guys, absolutely not. Never. They're not. Never. Even not even a little bit. They're also I, not great role models. Listen, I know everyone loves Bernie, but like at the end of the day, he's just an old dude, just like the rest of them. So he's really like, cool, dude. But yeah, like... <laughs> like he's better than most of them, but he's still not to be idolized. And this, I just I should have paid more attention to Bernie. I didn't pay enough attention. I didn't I either, and I kind of felt was going on. Yeah, me too. Um, I was really. I, I was, think I knew about him, and I like was like, "There's no way right now he can be the answer." Well, there's also like the bipartisan media effect, where like, if you're watching mainstream media, you're gonna get two sides, and that third party's not gonna. You're like, because I knew plenty about Biden versus Trump, mm-hmm. but just because of availability of information, like yeah, well, well, like I said, love Bernie, support almost everything he says. However, we do need to be realistic in the political climate we lived in, and Bernie was just not... Coming out of that, we needed someone somewhat moderate. Yeah. Well, even when he first ran, he was just not... He was not what America was going to vote in. America's not ready for... We're not ready for someone who calls himself a socialist. He would have... Biden would be okay. Well, sorry, Biden. Um, He would have been conservative in a lot of European countries. And Bernie is only slightly left of center. Right. Well, I was talking to people about that. And I was talking about, like, our friends from Europe. And I was, Mm -hmm. like, mentioned something about our Democratic Party. And they're like, you know that your your left-leaning party is probably our conservative, right? And I was like, well, when you put it like that, I'm about to move to France. No, it's it's true. Because, like, when you look at it, like because <laughs> biden is right of center mm-hmm. like every every democratic candidate was right of center except for bernie who was only like one or two degrees off mm. and it's it really puts it in perspective like how much how much we've moved to the right and that happens, yeah. like, in a lot of ways. But anyway, this is a whole different conversation. So we went down a rabbit hole there, guys. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, we are sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, Reagan is um not being a great person here. Um, so it comes from more than just, like, the presidential office. Places that cater to a LGBTQ plus clientele or kind of serve that community are often closed down or received a huge hit financially for their businesses. People are so scared of AIDS that they're treating it like a airborne virus. Like the people who come in to mm. shut down those organizations are pictured wearing um, masks and nitrile gloves and all oh, this like protective yeah. gear. And when those photos get circulated, 
it freaks people out more and it looks more terrifying and there's more fear mongering and more misinformation and then people are like oh my gosh what if it's airborne what if i could get it just be standing next to you know yeah um and so all like these organizations these businesses that are really just there to help a community are being attacked yeah and by the mid-90s, there are over 2.5 million cases confirmed worldwide. It was the leading cause of death for Americans 25 to 44. So it's like that inverted version of what we see while, see with plagues and pandemics yeah. where the younger generation is usually safe. Mm-hmm. It's the flip side this mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah. The death rate from this disease doesn't slow down later until the 90s, like wow. into the late 90s. Jeez. People are so freaked out that they're actively making legal like legislation against hiv positive people even if their diagnosis doesn't directly affect their work yeah they're banned from immigrating the country without like certain like passes and stuff like that um which does not have anything to do with sharing body fluids yeah so like i don't this is a very like non-communicative disease yeah yeah and Around um, later and then later in the nineties, around this time, um, there's enough availability of the drugs and resources that the worldwide standard kind of gets created. Like yeah. they're able to okay create yeah. a process, but it took a long time for those attitudes to start changing. And it helps that certain high high profile people people we're gonna reset that sentence. Take two. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> gotta do it sometimes. I, gotta, like, I should have done my mouth. Exercises. We really shouldn't record after we both worked all day yeah. long. <laughs> Mood. It, yeah. Okay. At so least one of us has to be a little bit on it. Do we? We're about to experiment with that the next couple months. So, <laughs> yeah. It helps. Oh my I'll God. just start doing my um, old theater exercises again before we speak. <clears throat> like Sharpay and High School Musical. Yes. What did you do? Me. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then we will we will perform Bop to the Top for y'all. Cat will, I won't. No, I will not. Wait, does that make me Ryan? Yes. (laughs) You get the fedora. Yes. (laughs) So yeah. Oh my god. It helps that certain high profile people came out to say that they had HIV or AIDS. Um, The most famous of these is Freddie Mercury. Um, yeah, who died I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. From bronchial pneumonia because of AIDS. Yeah, that's sad. And then you have people like uh, Princess Di- Diana, who was one of the first people to. Oh yeah, yeah, that famous photo. Yeah, she went. They opened a um, strictly AIDS ward. It was like the first one in England or something like that. Yeah, and she. This was after her marriage had kind of fallen apart and everything but she's still like the people's princess Mm -hmm. they love her and Mm -hmm. she walks into this ward sits down hugs an aids infected child and shakes the hands of an aids infected adult Mm -hmm. and everyone's like oh my gosh oh my gosh because even though it spread through bodily fluids they were like she's gonna get it so scared yeah Yeah. and so she really held the stigma and yeah she's oh that's awesome (sighs) incredibly high profile person the more i learn about her the more i'm like oh damn girl (laughs) it's heartbreaking i know because she really seemed incredible yeah um so for a good chunk of time a lot of the social awareness around the issue and the push on the topic for research came from lgbtqia plus advocates because they were the ones getting the direct effects and unfortunately most other communities were not caring how or concerned with how homosexual men were being infected. 
So public apathy is rampant and they create organizations like the gay men's health crisis and the AIDS coalition. Um, sorry. And the, um, I can't talk. I'm so sorry. And the (laughs) AIDS coalition to unleash power, which is the acronym act up, which was like a huge movement and largely credited with pushing for the research and some of the stuff that awesome eventually helped with the epidemic. Yeah. They were, um created in new york in the 80s to fight to actively seek the end of the disease so it wasn't just like a community like hey don't Uh, pay gay people it was like like pushing for research um we have a mission exactly Mm -hmm. and the community in a a lot of ways had to band together to fight aids with their activism and the process they did bring some attention to other systemic issues about how the lgbtqia plus community was being treated but it's also really hard to come together the community and simultaneously be losing huge chunks yeah. of your community to a virus that mm-hmm. no one knows about people don't seem to care about yeah this is like a generation of you. gay people yeah yeah like mm-hmm. they're getting blamed for disease that's killing them yeah and if anything i mean no blame should go to doctors because they can't find the cure for something medical knowledge only takes so far but being apathetic as a doctor yeah. when your mission is to help and heal everyone is a different thing yeah, yeah. um and a lot of, like you were saying, a lot of these, this is a generation, a lot of these people are still alive and they had to live mm-hmm. through losing entire family systems, communities, and they, they still live with that trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the, the Africa outbreak because it was mm-hmm. huge. There's a huge outbreak in Africa. A good chunk of it was showing up in homosexual men. But a lot of public consensus didn't even acknowledge that homosexual homosexuality was like a thing. Like mm-hmm. they did not talk yeah. about it. It was not a thing that yeah. you know got discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they should have been paying attention to it, kind of, and you know, providing special health and education to the population. In some countries in Africa, homosexuality homosexuality is still a criminal issue that can end you up in jail. So yeah. no one really talks about it, and no one provides any resources to these communities to stop the spread or even spread information about preventative abilities. By the time it shows up in heterosexual patients as well, it only confuses their previous assumptions about what it was, if it's the same thing entirely. And the ability for other countries to get their numbers under control is somewhat in part their ability to talk about the issue and to help their communities understand safe practices. No, that makes sense. Yeah, you have to be able to talk about it to deal Which with Which is it. why I, yeah, because you see so many pandemics start first by them not understanding what's happening. Yeah. It's because they don't understand, they don't have a name for it, and so it spreads without mm-hmm. anyone doing anything about it. Yeah. So it's that same idea of like, you have to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's much like the discussion of abstinence-only sex education that we're seeing a yeah. lot in America right now because yeah. I'm, I'm from Texas. Mm-hmm. I got abstinence only sex education and i didn't really even get sex education i i don't think i ever got sex ed really i got a health class where we were supposed to talk about sex ed where also i realized the other day that i signed like a freaking virginity contract like no i i got handed a card Uh and i had to sign my name on it and have my friend sign her name on it oh that you had a witness that we would yeah that we would help keep each other in check Oh I don't God. remember if we were like sign- like talking about keeping ourselves in check to wait for was marriage. Was this in school? Yes. Oh my God. Is that legal? I don't know. Like public school? I, I can't remember if we were like promising to like not have sex till we were married or like we were setting ourselves a date and or like if we were trying to like sign a contract to make sure that we 
respected ourselves or what. But like, that's wow. my memory of sex education. I remember wow. nothing else. It wasn't an actual yeah. sex ed class. And well, as someone who's also from Texas, I did have a what I would call a comprehensive sex education. Oh, However, good. it was made very clear that abstinence was the only way to be 100% um, be sure that you wouldn't get pregnant yeah and it's yeah. the only way and you should yes I was taught about other forms of birth control STD stuff like that I was not but I was taught it was made very clear and the stupid health teacher who I have a lot of bad stories about made basically compared women to cars oh yeah and we said literally her metaphor objects. was oh if you're buying a brand new car would uh, you rather have one with zero miles or 50 miles? And you don't know how hard or how fast they drove those 50 miles. Ew. And I said, and she said, raise your hand if you want the car with zero miles. And I didn't fucking raise my hand because that's ridiculous. Yeah. And she called me out in front of the whole class <gasps> and was like, why didn't you raise your hand? And I was like, <laughs> because I think, because it wouldn't matter to it's me. It's a car. Yeah. It's a car. Like it's 50 miles. Like, I drive 15 miles in a fucking day. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? And and then, apparently, she, like... I forget what exactly happened, but I did hear from my friend that the next period... Because she had her for the next period. Mm -hmm. The next period, she was like, there was a girl in my other class who didn't raise her hand. Can you believe that? Yes. And I was like, you're compare you're telling women that they have sex once and they're ruined forever. Yeah. Like, that's what you're and communicating. You're to anyone. Yeah. Which is a huge Because it's not a fucking joke. Like, exactly. Like, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. She was awful. I hated that woman. I got a lot of the whole, like, like, not even through official sex ed channels, but, like, I went to a very conservative church and, like, the whole 100% chance or, like, the only 100% foolproof ways to yeah. have the, the person who was telling me that, that, told me also that she and her husband the first time they kissed was at their wedding or oh i think God. it was like one of the first times they'd kissed or something um wow and i was like oh that's so sweet that's what i want and now i'm like even if i don't date or if i'm not in any relationships like i just i know that women have yeah. more worth than that absolutely and that whole like you know condoms are only so safe and they yeah. make it sound like that percentage chance is going to be you and i'm like but that discourages people from using it yeah they think it's pointless if there's that little mm -hmm. percent chance and then they don't use it when it's a completely viable form and it would help them yeah and condoms also protect against stds not just yep. pregnancy and yep yeah which is so, why unless you're tested you are having sex with a partner who has been tested you should always wrap it up even if you are yes. on birth control yeah that is my sage wisdom yeah that's good wisdom. <laughs> In case you're wondering, Mom, no, I'm not having sex. <laughs> I know our mothers listen to this, but I think they I both know. know us well enough. To I know, know that they're like this fucking nerd's not having sex. <laughs> She's know. got a history podcast. <laughs> bitch makes corsets in her fair time for historically inspired <laughs> costumes she's not they're not even sexy too. corsets <laughs> i'm over here hammering gussets into things like, i literally walk in some days and catch just like in the back her back room like hammering <laughs> god am i working i feel like i'm walking into like a workshop in like the 1700s <laughs> like victorian have like collars up to my throat yeah. and, like, oh my god property <laughs> Uh, but I mean, and that it's, it's, it's a good talking about sexual health doesn't have to be done in every company, but it should be a discussion yeah. that 
you have by the time you're sexually active. So, yeah. like, um, you know, there are lots of resources and the internet's making it a lot easier. But you see it, like, um, in Finland that has one of the lowest abortion rates in the world, mm-hmm. even though they offer it publicly, they yeah. also offer fully comprehensive sex ed and, and resources. And I bet they offer, like, free birth control. Yes, yes. they do. Yeah. And they have mm-hmm. the lowest... They're the their teens, their younger generation yeah. have sex later in their lives. Like mm-hmm. they wait longer and they have it more sparingly. Yeah. And it's comprehensive. Well, it's like, sex it's like the, helps. yeah, it's like the Europe thing with alcohol. If you're taught about alcohol and how to treat it properly yeah, from a young age, you know how to handle it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You still go and get drunk, but, but like, like you're not going absolutely batshit insane like Americans kids do, you know? Yeah. And so it's, yeah. Yeah. I walked by a frat party once. I saw how they were. Didn't even. <laughs> That's so funny. What? No, you went to a frat party. You walked by I one. Did. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even a frat house. Our, our campus doesn't have frat houses. It was In just case a you house needed more block. evidence that we are not having sex. <laughs> one time I walked by a frat <laughs> It's okay. I've never been to a frat party either. That's really lame. Anyway, <laughs> we knew this. So yeah, I've never even walked by one. So you got that leg up on me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it's it's that similar thing. If they're not going to even acknowledge that homosexuality is a thing in Africa, yeah. and they're not going to offer any resources to the communities, it's a going to demonize that community more, um, and. They're going to be put way behind in progress of managing it as an epidemic. So by 2003, the medications like in production, it's widely available, but there aren't as many healthcare professionals on the African continent. So by 2003, like in the yeah. early 2000s, AIDS has a whole new wave sweeping Jeez. through the it's continent. It's crazy that so like that's 2003. That's recent for yeah. Like, we were alive. Yeah, like we were community of mm-hmm. children. Like we we would have understood if someone had explained it. No yeah. one would under explain it to us because. Mm-hmm. You know, why talk about this thing that was still public perception was never really let up Mm -hmm. on it. Um, But like, because they aren't talking about the public health aspect of it and being open and providing resources. And to be fair, they don't always have resources. Um, Other countries tried to send aid, but often it was mismanaged, miscommunicated. Um, It wasn't an effective um, system, but Botswana... um, has over a third of their in- population infected by the early 2000s. Jeez. So does Swaziland. Um, and it isn't... A third? Yeah. Oh, my God. And it isn't just common as adults, but children are infected in huge rates. And oh they God. don't have a good prognos- prognosis, Yeah, you know? Um, so even if the children aren't as badly affected, millions, I think the estimates, like, in the like mid-double-digit range of the millions, wow. they're losing their parents. Yeah. Like... Yeah. So, so many still adults affected. are losing, yeah. are, are dying from mm-hmm. it that they're ending up with millions of orphans in single parent homes. Jeez. Um, so, yeah. But it took a good chunk of time compared, I mean, it took us, what, a year to get a real vaccine rolled out? But yeah. it took them years, multiple years, to really mm-hmm. understand what was going on from yeah. when it shows up in America and sweeps through other countries as well. But they finally realize why certain populations are getting hit harder and the it does affect how we talk about and practice safe sex um yeah. mm-hmm. people are 
forced by necessity to be more open about certain topics, not just within a community trying to protect itself, but people like a younger generation with a new threat to sexually transmitted diseases Mm -hmm. and all these things. So, you know, people had to talk about condoms and preventative measures that they weren't doing before. So it's not something you talk about in like, you know, present company. Well, you're my present company. We (laughs) would talk about this. We are obviously talking about this, but like (laughs) the condom sales go way up. The CDC is talking about mm. preventative and safe measures. Like, it's becoming yeah. a public thing, not just for the gay community. The Clinton administration straight up starts teaching about HIV and AIDS in education, like, in educating people wow. so that people know how to be safe. Um, and they institute the first needle exchange programs. They even start to question whether or not they need to be different protocols for there need to be different protocols for blood banks, collection services, all that. Yeah. It wasn't until 2010 that the U.S. officially lifted that travel ban that was in place to prevent HIV-positive people. I don't know if it was being enforced the whole time. Yeah. But <clears throat> before that, you were supposedly supposed to have a waiver if you had HIV and you are traveling. But now it's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know gay men still can't donate blood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, President Obama signed an extension act in 2009, which provided medical services for people with HIV and AIDS. Um, even the Americans of Disabilities Act in 1990 that Bush signed offered protection against discrimination-free people with uh-huh. the condition. Yeah. So currently more than 35 million people around the world live with HIV and AIDS. Wow. Um, how many, many died in the 80s? Or how, in America? You're going to get there? Okay. Yeah, and like just a second. Okay. You, were, you, you yeah. asked it at the right time. Okay. So many countries have seen those infection rates stabilize, plateau, and even fall. Um, it was deemed a public health emergency, especially when the developing countries weren't able to treat their patients as fast as they were, you know, getting infected as the first world countries and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was hitting like almost exponential growth there mm-hmm. for a hot second. Um, but more than 700,000 people in America wow. died from AIDS since it was originally popping up. Wow. World estimates range as, as with every historic medical discussion um and part of that too is places don't always have a a, a average census or a normal understanding of things Mm -hmm. don't have access to it and especially with something like this where pneumonia like freddie murky had bronchial pneumonia pneumonia yeah and so that's the cause of death and it's like yeah he had it because of aids and everything Mm -hmm. but like that's you know yes so estimates range from 24 to 42 million jeez general median consensus is around 33 million people dead worldwide from aids that's insane and uh the new it's it's a problem now too because the diagnosis is disproportionately affecting racial and ethnic groups mm. for a multitude of reasons. And it, they often don't have as ready an access to medical um, information or treatment, especially in countries that don't provide medical treatment yeah. um, for equally to their people. Yeah. And it's also disproportionate to the amount of deaths as well. So you know, the gay and bisexual communities have always struggled with this, but now ethnic minorities are struggling too, which is why I think there's a, there, there's been a big push for a long time to treat things like drug use and the opioid epidemic and, and just heroin and stuff like that. There's been an effort for a long time to treat these and talk about them openly. And I mean, if you could dispense these things, in a healthy way with clean needles and, and yeah. put people in a health institution where they can overcome addiction and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's just safer on so many fronts to treat yeah. it like a health issue. 
instead of just as a criminal issue. Yeah. yeah. Where you don't necessarily treat the issue, you just treat the effects and then yeah. you put them back out mm-hmm. into society where it's easy Where they're to... just going to go buy drugs again. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're institutionalized and yeah. <sighs> well, yeah. that was depressing. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, it's going to get depressing on my end. Y'all know that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised you covered AIDS. I was like, oh, this makes sense. I was looking at people and I was also like, I found a lot of cool ones and I was doing some reading deeper on it and there was a huge discussion because apparently California is one of the first states to ever include in state legislation to to talk about um, sexual or like the LGBTQIA plus community in history. Oh. It's becoming part of their curriculum. Oh, cool. They're rewriting textbooks for it. Cool. And the textbook excerpt I found, I actually ended up reading a middle school textbook because I nice. was so interested. Yeah. And they never say like this person was gay. Mm. This person was never this because they never came out. They yeah. whether that's a con uh, a product of their context or their personal opinions or maybe they didn't uh-huh. identify as a certain way and were misreading mm-hmm. it as a problem. But like so the textbook did a really cool thing where it talked about how they live their lives so like they might have had a boston marriage where they lived with the yeah. woman and she yeah. and they both identified as women they lived together for 60 years uh-huh. and it talks about that it never says like she was uh she was lesbian it just yeah. says she lived with this person her whole life and they mm-hmm. you know and i found that really interesting but i realized that if i'm gonna talk about people from that community from history i needed to do a yeah. little more research and have a little more time to find people that i can yeah. comfortably talk about that with and not make any mm-hmm. assumptions so yeah i went with a big topic a more general topic yeah well the thing is is um my topic is one big assumption so <laughs> that's good too well it is sappho so we oh. all know oh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I knew that. I don't know yeah. what I was thinking about. Like, yeah, there's just certain people in history that that you know. Well, like, yeah, <laughs> they were gay. Like, well, I mean, her writings were yes, like literally about women. It's like Alexander the Great, how he was almost 100 mm-hmm. percent positive, like bisexual, because he yeah. wrote about yes, like a relationship yeah. with a man and mm-hmm. with like with mm-hmm. women. So they don't like. And it's different culturally. Well, it's interesting because cultures you didn't have to yes. come out and say I am or I wasn't. So I talk about that. Was much more free. Yeah, I talk about that a little bit. And um, in researching this, I got a much better understanding of Greek sexuality, which made a lot more sense and how they view sexuality. Yeah. So I'll get there. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. Hit, hit me with Sappho. Yeah. So uh, we got some disclaimers. <laughs> the main one is. A lot like a lot of other women from history mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people from this time, uh, we don't have any or very many exact facts. There are things that we hold to be true, yeah. but even them, they are guesses. Uh, saw that with your one about Socrates. Yes. And this is even more so. If you remember my episode about the um, Mongolian wrestler Kutuyan. Mm-hmm. This is going to be much more that kind of story of like, we don't really know. Yeah. Um, but we do know Sappho as a person. So it's important yes, to learn Yes, we do her. know that she existed and we do have writings from her. And um, so it's a little more concrete, but a lot of the facts about her life, we don't know. Um, also, just as I said, uh, <laughs> we kind of blew it out of the water. We talked a lot about sex and sex education and everything. But like, yeah, we did. we're going to talk more about sex and <laughs> Uh, that's just what's going to happen. Maybe not as much as with AIDS, 
but um, it's a little different of a topic. So before I get into this, I kind of wanted to talk about two things. One of the first one being the condition of women in Greek society, ancient Greek society. Um, one thing before I get into that is that we tend to kind of think of Greece, ancient Greece as one unified country. It very much was not. Um, mm. and it's more like a collection of city states that identified as Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like a culture, like, yes, there is one unifying culture. However, within each city state, there is so a, a variety of, um, different ways that culture and society and women's roles and all of those things functioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is, um, most blatantly and kind of most commonly seen, because um, we know these two places the best out of ancient Greek being the differences between ancient Athens and Sparta. Ashen, Athens was more traditionally intellectual while Sparta is more mm-hmm. warlike and yeah. more militaristic. I learned that yeah. in my public education. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So everyone kind of knows that about Greece. And that's just like, you know, one of the easiest and most like highly depicted, commonly depicted yeah. ways to like show that. So unfortunately, with most, as with most women's history, we don't have a lot of evidence left that indicates how women were treated specifically in each city-state. Um, we have the most records from Athens, and from what we can tell, women's roles, I should say the wives' roles, were very traditionally what we would consider wives' roles. Mm-hmm. Respectable women married men, raised the children... Mm-hmm. Um, all of that stuff. But even, I would say they were c- kept out of society more than we, what we see a lot in history. Yeah. Your wives, they're not allowed in any sort of culture, any sort of society, any sort of political discussions, philo- philosophical discussions. Mm-hmm. Like, they're shut off from all of it. Their sole duty is to raise the children. Uh, mm. And it's it's kind of depressing to see because it's like, these are like, <laughs> it's so frustrating because it's like, most respectable women well i say respectable all these women are respectable but um unless they're bad people but you know it's ancient greece so i don't know them personally (laughs) um but most quote-unquote respectable women were expected to be wise and just shut off from all this culture so it's like it's really frustrating um what we do know is that there uh which i will definitely be doing an episode on this because oh my god this seems so interesting but the hatira which we have mentioned before um they are kind of this courtesan-like class of women, and they were basically anything from... And you can also kind of compare them to geisha in Japanese culture and tradition, but they were this class of women who were basically your high-class sex workers. They they not only did... Yes, they did traditional sex work, but they also were entertainers. They were poets. They were musicians. They were courtesans. They were not only were they those things, they were also actively allowed and encouraged to participate in cultural discussions. So full consort kind of thing. Yes. Like, like it contributing was, in every yes. aspect of the life. It was definitely like a companion. Whereas wives were your vehicle to have children. Hmm. These women were like companions and they were your intellectual equal and they were allowed to, I know. I was like, why would you be a wife? Like, I know. (laughs) This sounds so much more interesting. So, and also I would just like to say this treatment of women is very interesting for a culture who literally has like very powerful female deities. I know. And it's like, how did you get from that to this? Well, like Vikings have very powerful women deities. Yeah. But like, 
they're also like their women were like warriors yeah and they're like shield maiden Vikings culture people, and women in viking history are very much more equal to men yeah they're still not the same as men but they're they have a lot more rights than a lot of yeah. other people oh, a lot of other women do at this time yeah so it's like what's the disconnect there yeah i don't know i guess they were like well those are god gods and these are just women. there's probably but, a really long history and i'm yeah. totally gonna have to do some research on that but, <laughs> but i just wanted to put that in so now i want to talk about the island of lesbos where sappho's from and it's also where we get our word lesbian because originally lesbian just meant someone from this island mm-hmm. of lesbos so as we as i kind of discussed you know you have your main city states you have Sparta, Athens, those kind of places. Lesbos is different. (laughs) Lesbos seems to be a little more free, a little more liberal. (laughs) You're a little more passionate, a little more. You're having fun. Yes, a little more free love. Yes, I I I don't know. It's very much like hippie, 70s kind of concept. Yeah, we're like we're all at. Woodstock right now. That's just the whole island of Lesbos. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is an island. It's in the North Aegean Sea, and it is the third largest of the Greek islands. It is the birthplace of Sappho and another famous Greek poet, lyric poet by the name of, um, I forget, and I put his name in later. (laughs) I've done that so many times in my notes where I'm like, quick scroll before Kaylee realizes I don't know. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to admit it. Yeah, this other guy, uh, I'll get to him later. He's in my notes somewhere. Awesome. But <laughs> so uh, this island is known for it's it's definitely a place. It's a center of culture. So it's definitely known for its arts, its poetry, its music, its lavish lifestyle. These people who were living here were like living in luxury. At least the rich people were. Um, and uh, this island has been mentioned in several uh, at several points of the Greek mythos, including in both the Iliad and the Odyssey. And because of the island's location, it's actually kind of closer to um, other countries, not just Greek. So it kind of ends up being this unique blend of Greek, Anatolian, and indigenous cultures. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what gives it, it's like different and kind of uh, identifying. Yeah. it's unique yeah it's unique what's different than like other greek areas uh the main exports of this island were and continue to be oh i just hit the mic uh olive oil and wine Mm. so that's pretty cool so even though it's like you know a greek island that's why the island is so much fun they just have endless wine (laughs) and olive oil which if you know anything about olive oil and greek culture anyway (laughs) (laughs) specifically relating to issues of Pleasure. Anyway, yeah. So it continues to be their main export, which is interesting because Greek is now such a, a tourist des- defin- destination that you would think that oh, this like island of Lesbos is probably going to have like tourists as its number one economic thing, but apparently it's not. Apparently, it's still ag- agriculture. So good for them. Um, <laughs> it's described as a land of excess where art, specifically poetry, was valued above all people. Um, and at least rich people were free to do as they pleased, and they kind of lived in this lavish life of luxury. So now that we've kind of talked about all of those things, let's talk about Sappho. Um, Sappho was born anywhere between 630 and 610. <laughs> we don't know. And she died anywhere between 570 and 540 BCE. So 
this is during the archaic period of Greece, ancient Greece. This is the period that preceded classical Greece. So right before your classical Greece, which is your typical Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Mm -hmm. all those kind of guys. That's classical Greece. What you kind of think of when you think of ancient Greece. Yeah. This was a slower period. The legends of the Iliad and the Odyssey had already happened and been written about, but nothing is really like happening at this point. The first Olympic Games take place in 776 BCE, so a little over 100 years before we think she was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Persian Wars take place in the four, uh, 470s BCE, and Socrates was also born in 470, so around 100 years after she died. So it's kind of in this period of just hanging out. So she didn't have to deal with annoying men at parties. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well apparently there was a lot of, like, where she lived in... Well, the Isle of Lesbos was, like, apparently full of, like, political, like, conflict. So I don't know if there was any of that. She definitely probably got her fair share. But it wasn't Socrates. Yeah. Which we all know Kat hates. <laughs> kind of really annoying. So it's unclear where she was from, but she spent most of her li- adult life in the capital city of... Uh, I heard someone pronounce this Mytilene, Mytilene on Lesbos. It's the capital city. She was uh, born to pretty uh, more than likely a wealthy household. She would have been given the same education that was typical for Greeks at the time, including music, art, poetry, philosophy, etc. Very much human, or not uh, the not human. What's it called? College of wait, wait, wait. what is that? Liberal arts. Oh my god. Liberal I was literally going to say arts and sciences. I was, I I was going to no say arts and sciences. I knew what was wrong. I was literally sitting there. I was liberal like, arts. This is not correct. Very much a liberal arts education. Um, we think that she had two to three brothers, though we are not sure. We think that she had a husband, although she probably didn't. And we know that she probably didn't have a husband because the name of her husband that has been given to her husband is an, a, a name of Kirkolas which roughly translates to penis from man island. <laughs> so likely this was just a crude joke about her. Yeah. I mean like, yeah, I have a husband. His name is penis and he's from man island. Well, I mean, she had to. <laughs> Instead she of her actual to, husband. She had to like have fun with it, you know, man. Oh, like, she probably definitely she did. Was, someone's like, what's his name? And she was probably like, Oh, exactly. That's I'm imagining that's exactly yeah. how it happened. He, she was yeah. like, oh, yes, I have a husband. His name is... Penis. <laughs> Penis from Man Island. Mr. Penis from Man Island. <laughs> you get it, girl. I know. I was like, that's so funny. Uh, we think she might also have had a doctor. We do have poems from her or verses from her that talk about a daughter that she has that we are unsure because a word that is used for daughter can also be translated to child or slave so was it her daughter we don't know i'm gonna go with meshing them all together and say that maybe she maybe she had a a a, a husband slash sperm donor or something and she had a child or she found (laughs) i'm gonna go with she had a servant child who she later adopted or like a slave child she freed it and then maybe adopted it or something like that it could be it could be we don't know because it's so funny because so many of the sources were like this is what happened and you're like no that's incorrect because we don't know it was like me trying to figure out how many children rasputin had i know no one agreed there's so many it's that historiography thing y'all it's Anyway, uh, 
That's why this comes with a disclaimer. <laughs> yes. So the reason why we have to make so many guesses is because we have basically none of her work left. And the closest thing to a contemporary biography we have is from a 10th century Byzantine encyclopedia of the ancient Mediterranean world called the Suda. Now, the Suda is obviously unreliable because it was written, if you're doing math in your, in your head, over 1,000 years after she lived. Yeah, I did. And this is the closest thing to a contemporary biography that we have. So obviously, we're not getting not the so facts yeah. of what's happening here. She does have writings, and we do have a, a decent collection of her writings now. But we can't fully believe them because we do know that she was often commissioned to write poetry. So we don't really know if what we have is autobiographical or mm -hmm. if it was written for someone who commissioned her. So any of these things could be incorrect. Uh, we get the names for her husband and two brothers from the Suda. And the brothers were apparently confirmed in a fragment of her poetry that was unearthed in 2014. Uh, but her husband, Dick from Man Island, <laughs> um, uh, has never been incur uh, like confirmed in any of her poetry. And again, it's probably just a joke because how could it not be? No one in Greek is named or ancient Greece is naming their son. Maybe she did have Dick a biological child Island. though, because that would make sense why she someone would ask her and be so adamant, like, "Who's your husband? Who's your husband?" And you oh, obviously calling have a child, him a dick. and she's just like, <laughs> "It's just so funny because my mother's maiden name is Dick." Oh, it's so funny. Really? Yeah. Oh, you've told me that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my great grandfather, his name is Harry. Stop. And his name is Harry Dick. And get this, he's a junior. <laughs> so there's two of them. <laughs> two Harry Dicks in my family. I'm never going to not love learning about your family, Kaylee. Oh, it's a good time. <laughs> in other sources, um, uh, so other sources that we have about Sappho include things that people kind of her contemporary may have written about her in passing. So I would say we have stuff written about her from two, 300 years after mm -hmm. her death, but contemporary enough, I guess. Um, and then there's also your classic ancient Greek plays, which are of course not great sources either mm -hmm. because they're plays and they're written as satires. Yeah. So here's the info we have from the Suda on Sappho. Uh, and, it, and again, we learn about her apparent husband and brothers from this book. So the Suda names three of Sappho's friends um, that, and so it names three of her friends and the word that it uses for friends could also be translated to mean courtesan. So we don't know. Hmm. In the book, uh, the Suda claims that these three friends, uh, she apparently was charged with having a shameful relationship with so, again, apparently that happened. So, she had three female friends mm -hmm. who she had a, quote, un or shameful relationship with. Whatever that means. As other historians <laughs> would say, they were just friends they were just who lived friends. together. Yes. And slept in the same bed. <laughs> um, so, she apparently wrote up to nine volumes of poetry. And wow. she apparently invented the plectrum, which is a pick for the liar. So it's like a guitar pick oh. for the liar, which would make sense because I'll talk about this a little later, but her poetry was a lyric style, which was often accompanied with a liar. Okay. Uh, and the Suda had also mentioned she was a teacher. This is also confirmed by other classical sources. So other contemporary sources are quote unquote contemporary. Um, if you don't know what contemporary means, it means at the same time. Yeah. It took me an embarrassing long amount of time to learn that. Uh, but I know now. <laughs> Okay, it took me a really long time to learn that Charles Manson and Marilyn Manson were not related. I see the connection there, other than the names. 
Well, I think Marilyn was named definitely was inspired by Charles, but Marilyn Manson's a piece of work. So anyway, um, (laughs) I don't know anything about him. It just took me a really long time. Well, I think a lot of people have come forward with allegations about him recently. Oh no! Yeah, Marilyn Manson. I don't like that. Okay, which it makes me so sad because Dita Von Teese was married to him for uh, a long time, and she is a gem of a human. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so also, um, tweet at us the shamefully long things about history that it took you, or things about history. Oh my god, that it was a shamefully loved... long time to learn. That would be so. Please fun. Please start a thread on that. Maybe yes. I'll start the thread, but we only have a few followers. So like, please do it because <laughs> honestly, that would make me feel better about not that knowing would be stuff. So fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Sappho, uh, the Suda claims that she was a teacher. This is also confirmed by quote-unquote contemporary sources, but we have no idea what she was a teacher of. This could be anything from a finishing school. So like your typical ladies finishing school, which again, Mm. I don't really think it's the kind of person she was, but okay. I don't really see her as the headmistress of a finishing school. Uh, This could also be she was a leader of a group devoted to Aphrodite. And she does, uh, she does, I think, Aphrodite must have been one of her main gods because she talks about her a lot. Mm-hmm. Or she could have been in charge of a group of courtesans or the Hetaira, which is like the Greek equivalent, though I don't know if like that class of woman was around by this point. We don't know. It would be um, really cool to be like a headmistress of a courtesan school because then you can literally teach anything and everything. Yeah. And just like be like, hi guys, what do you want to learn about today? Like what... Yeah, that what musical cool. instrument would you like? What philosophy would you like to discuss? Yeah. Like, what war strategy should I we know. go over? I know. So, here's where it gets a little weird. There are, in the Suda, there are two intros for Sappho. Apparently, they're two different people, though both are poets who are from the Isle of Lesbos, from my Tinali, which I'm butchering, mm. and who also played the lyre. So, whether or not they were different people, we don't know. But what we do know is that the second Sappho in the Suda is contributed to this story, which has become like an iconic myth. With basically this uh, story between Sappho and a man named Phaon. In the story, <laughs> Sappho falls in love with a fairy man named Phaon. And when she leaves, she gets so distraught that she throws herself off a cliff. Okay. There is one fragment of her poetry that mentions her knowing a man by the name of Phaon. But likely that story is purely derived from a story from a Greek comedy written about 200 years after her death. So that story, Mm -hmm. which has become like a big legend around Sappho is probably just from a play written about her 200 years after her death. Although it's put in this book again, history gets muddy. This is muddy. I don't know. There's a lot of weird things about her. Maybe there would be answers in the library of Alexandria. Oh, there definitely would be because you know where her shit was. Oh no, I was joking. no, Yep. No! And I'm Sorry, about to get I'm into that. I'm about to get into you. that section. So yeah, here we it. are. I'm going to cry. So let's talk about her poetry. So Sappho was a lyric, a lyricist poet, which is different from the Greek tradition of epic poetry, epic poems or epic poetry. An epic poem is basically a story or a myth written in verse, and it's often done that way so that it's easily told from person to person so that they can kind of with the rhythm of the music or with rhythm of the story mm-hmm. tell how the story would have gone. Um, that's why 
things like the Iliad and the Odyssey by Homer are these epic poems and you know they're great stories that have been passed Why down and then eventually were written go down. Listen to Hades Town, even though I know you want to see it before you listen to it. Go I listen to Hades Town. Would see that literally if it was showing right now, I would say let's go. Oh, but I don't want to listen just to it. Selling tickets again. Wait, really? For Dallas? Oh no, no, no. <sighs> yeah, sorry. No. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I'll keep an eye out. Maybe it yes. Will. Please do. So lyric poetry, um, which is the tradition that Sappho is in, is very similar to songwriting with more musical sounding lines and usually was accompanied by a lyre or some kind of instrument. Sappho was one of two people most known for lyric poetry in ancient Greek tradition, the other being a man. This is who I was talking about earlier, Alcaeus, a man by the name of Alcaeus, who was also from this island of Lesbos. Um, and was also known for great lyric poetry. So obviously this was a big deal here. And they were actually contemporaries of each other, like real contemporaries. So it's possible that they knew each other and they likely did. Sappho's work has been greatly admired and was greatly admired in her time with her being called the poetist in reference to Homer being called the poet. Oh. So with Homer being called the poet, she was yeah. the great poetess. Um, so that's pretty high standard. So yeah. that's pretty awesome. She must have really been good. But Why didn't we learn about her? <laughs> Gotta read Homer, but I don't have to read Sappho. Uh, right. In 3rd century BCE, Sappho's poetry was compounded to into an edition, which was uh, then placed into the Library of Alexandria. Oh. And Wait, oh, like the only copy? Why didn't anyone yes. else have cop? Wait, it was? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the most comprehensive and only copies, yeah. yeah. No. No. <laughs> yep. So that hurts a lot. Oh, don't worry. Guess what I wrote down on my episode ideas? Library of Alexandria. Alexandria. People who don't know about it are probably like. So basically, the Library of Alexandria was this great. I'm so sorry. This this library in ancient, in ancient in the ancient Mediterranean. It was in the city of Alexandria. Yeah. And it was supposed to be home to this like vast collection of knowledge, like one of the biggest in the West. Mm -hmm. And it burned to the ground, and we lost everything in it like so many people have speculated about like how much further we would be in progress of knowledge and stuff if we hadn't if it hadn't been burned you yeah. have probably heard it referenced if you've watched national treasure when they're um in the treasure room and she's like <laughs> scrolls from the library of alexandria how is this possible and you're everything like, goes back to national treasure it does but also that scene makes me feel something because i'm like what if we actually could oh, find any person any person who like gets a rat's ass about history you just mentioned the, the library, library of Alexandria. Alexandria and they're and you're like, just like, oh, oh. The hot. it literally hurts. Like I remember the first time I learned about it and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. anyway. Who did install the sprinklers? <laughs> so apparently in this volume of her work, there was more than 10,000 lines of poetry. But oh my that is likely far from all of what she actually wrote because many of her poems, again, were commissioned and would have, would not have been preserved as they were meant for one-time performance at weddings or celebrations. Oh. So a lot of those type of poems or little lyrics yeah. or whatever weren't necessarily preserved. What was written down, we had 10,000 lines from, or oh. we used to. Uh, she was known in particular for a poet... Uh, she was now known for a particular poetic form that she either came up with or modified to make something new. And she was so well skilled for this, it eventually took on her own name. So it is now called the Sapphic Meter. If you're into poetry, I'm sure you know what that is. Her poems were known for being simple, but elegant and effective, carrying a lot of meanings in very few words. Uh, 
Now, I've mentioned fragments a few times, or at least I have in my notes. So the reason why the word fragment keeps coming up is because we don't have even complete lines a lot of the time for the stuff that we have from her. Mm. Uh, We have... uh, (laughs) These fragments have been found um, from anything from contemporaries quoting her. So we have... uh, there's one book that or author that quotes like four lines from her. We're like, great, that's one. You know, that's not a complete poem. It's just a quote. Or we have pottery with parts of poems on them. And we even mm. found a fragment of her writing uh, in the wrappings of a mummy, I believe. So that's really interesting. Which, you know what yeah. kills me is that... I can't talk about it without getting, without being problematic. Yes. Um, um, there have been <laughs> efforts in the last few years to find bits and pieces of um, Testament writings from the Bible that mm-hmm. include destroying mummy masks. And, yes. Um, because yeah, they the, were, the lower class ones were made with the, gold. They were, it's the green initiative. The, the no, Bible. no, 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 I know. The Museum of the Bible is Museum what it's called. Bible. Yeah. Yeah. They are leading that effort um, yeah. in addition to some other things that hit a little closer to home. Yeah. And so there have been... <laughs> Efforts where untrained professionals or people who don't have much regard for the mummy masks have taken them apart by destroying them in water um, so that pieces, other pieces of the script are lost because lower, like lower class, not pharaohs were mummified with paper mache. So it's layers Mm -hmm. of paper and they're hoping to find in some cases the like different testament works that uh, different versions of the Bible that they can learn from, but in the process, not treating all of the pieces correctly. So there's a good chance that pieces of other things are being lost in the process. And hearing that Sappho's writings have been found in mummy masks kills me because it yeah. makes me so scared about what's being lost i hope that this was attained a little more ethically than what you're talking about yeah. um this rap this specific oh, yeah. fragment of hers but yeah i completely get what you mean because who knows what they're throwing away because they're just looking for bible verses anyway so hmm. currently we have roughly 650 lines of her poetry remaining some, we have one complete work, which is called The Ode to Aphrodite. It's believed to be complete. As far as we know, it's complete. Uh, and then, we, so we have a, a complete work. And then we have some that are just three words pieced together. Um, and we can, and the range is anywhere in between. We'll have a whole line. We'll have a series of lines. We'll have a mostly complete poem, but only, only 650 lines out of 10,000. So... Several of her poems include, and this is where we get to the obvious connection to sex and sexuality, um, because a lot of her poems are pretty blatant expressions of love towards women. Uh, She does mention men in her poetry, but she does explicitly state loving women. And this is where a lot of her modern day fame and icon status comes from. She she talks about physically loving women, not just having romantic feeling or do you, or do you know? It's pretty, it's, it's like graphic. It's not graphic because none of her poetry was like graphic, but it was saying, I love this woman. Stuff along those lines. Gotcha. Where it was clearly not just as a friend. It was like like the same way she spoke about men. Okay. So it was like, yeah. Um, So she was at least bisexual, if not lesbian. At least bisexual. I will say that. I think she talked about women more. But again, there's no way to know. And it's not like back then they had a classification. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm going to get going to get to so as we know her name has obviously been become synonymous with lesbians um with that being the root of the with the island that she's from being lesbos so that's the root of the word lesbian and sapphic becoming another modern day term for women who love women um 
herself and her sexuality has been interpreted differently throughout the ages with some scholars flat out refusing to believe that she was gay at all Mm -hmm. uh there's a quote that i really liked that basically said that each century invents their own sappho because depending on the morals of that century and like how you handle her history historiography this is i would love i wish i had like had the foresight to write a historiography essay on her she'd be fascinating because that would be so good instead i wrote on louis the 14th what am i talking about (laughs) I think I did mine on Elizabeth. Nineteen-year-old me. Actually, I did do mine on Elizabeth, but I did it from the prospect of, or the from the viewpoint of her different paintings and the, the yeah. symbols of masculinity that mm-hmm. she used in her paintings. Oh, that's cool. Really interesting. I did mine on how throughout the ninth or the twentieth century. No, sorry, the twenty-first. No, the twentieth century. Wow. It's been a the day. 20th century, the 1900s, basically mm-hmm. starting. Fr- I got a book from early 1900s to modern day, and yeah. looked at how Louis the 14th has been interpreted through that time. Interesting, uh, which was really lame, but I got a good grade. So, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> um, so, during her time, sexuality was never mentioned. Her sexuality was never mentioned by her contemporaries and those who appreciated her. Again, we do have a lot of people talking about her and never once was her sexuality called into question and plato even called her the 10th muse of greece which if i guess there's this thing as like the ninth muse muse of greece and she's known as like one of the great nine like poets like she's a big deal and she's a big deal in her time this is not someone looking back and being like well we need to respect her this is she was a big deal like and and i was listening to a podcast about her and they say like obviously her sexuality wasn't a big thing because, like, people were hiring her. And if yeah. she was so, like, apprehensible, mm-hmm. she wouldn't have been getting hired. And no yeah. one would have been talking about her. So it was, like, not a big thing. And, again, she was, like, open about it. And she was not, you know, mm-hmm. she talked about it. So <laughs> while Sappho's was living on Lesbos, the island had, like, as we said, a reputation, a reputation of being full of passion, the finer things in life, luxury, all this stuff. But as time went on... People began to view uh, Lesbos as an island of depraved and, like, depravity and, like, hedonism and stuff like that. Specifically, this the island of Lesbos became, becomes known for one sex act in particular, which was fellatio. Oh, so, man. like, a whole island. You're just, like, <laughs> those heathens over there and they're doing fellatio. <laughs> and, of course, this reputation was not extended to Sappho herself. And this is where I get into my conversation about uh, sexuality during ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. So today we have this, today in our current society, sexuality is seen as a defining characteristic of who we are. Um, it is part of our who we see ourselves as, our identity, how we align ourselves a lot of time politically, socially, that yeah. kind of stuff. However, in Greece, sex and sexuality were much more passive. It was simply an act, not like a state of being. So... <laughs> While, yes, she did obviously enjoy the company of women, mm-hmm. it was much less of a soul identifier for her. It was just something she did. Yeah. Sex was much more of a, oh, yeah. It wasn't who you are as a person. Yeah. Who you were attracted to wasn't part of your being. It just wasn't, it didn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Like, you loved who you loved. Yeah. And I think, honestly, our current perception of that is from the hard-fought battle of getting rights for LGBT, LGBT people. Yeah, because now... Because now it had to be such an identifying part 
for so yeah. long. If you're wanting yeah. to partake in any benefits, you have to like align mm-hmm. yourself with a certain community. Yeah. And so I think eventually we'll get back to this, honestly. That'd be great. Well, it's yeah. like, it makes me think of the mustard seed thing or the, how there used to be like three shakers at, yeah, like that thing where you I, just don't write about it. No yeah. one wrote about who she was okay. with because it didn't matter. If Everyone don't, else I had just, yeah. a million of them. Exactly, exactly. I just learned about this and it's so interesting. So there's like in all these old paintings, mm-hmm. there's your salt and your pepper shaker on tables, yeah. but there's a third shaker. Uh-huh. And historians do not know no what it's clue for. What it is. Because it was such a commonplace thing yeah. that no one wrote it down. Because it was like, you you weren't going to go home and write in your journal about how you have salt or pepper on your table. Exactly. Like, no one thought to write it. Yeah. I think, I think some people speculated it was mustard seeds. Some people think it's mustard seeds. Yeah. But we don't know We're what that sure. third third spice was. And apparently it was so common because it was in all these paintings, mm-hmm. which so... It, there's like, and there's like trade routes and stuff that people never wrote like, oh, I went to this place to get this because they're really good at making this. Like, yeah. because it was common knowledge. And uh-huh. we like lost huge we have aspects so many, of history because it like, was just common exactly. sense. Exactly. Think about how many things in your average life that are just common sense. Or you think so are going to last down. forever. Yeah. So you aren't going to write them because people mm-hmm. in a thousand years are going to have it. Like, yeah. someone's going to look at your cell phone in a hundred years and be like, what the hell? I know. And you think it's going to last forever. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like that where they don't think to write down who Sapo is with. Yeah, because exactly. Because it didn't, it, it didn't wasn't, matter. Yeah. Everyone else had a million uh-huh. different, like, uh, yeah. preferences. <laughs> Everyone else did, definitely. Yeah. Because when you think, because when I talked about soccer, it was a discussion of the pederast so like yeah like at least 200 years after she was she died though mm-hmm. like homosexuality was a common practice yeah um and so i think that yeah so ancient greece definitely had a different conception of sex and sexuality and that's kind of what we're seeing here that is not to say that she was not attracted to women because she was very obviously was if you go read her like yeah. fragments but um so uh, there are rumors that Christian leaders uh, had her work burned, uh, which is because of the, because of you know her identity as a, a woman who loved women. And Wouldn't her be surprising because that would explain sex. why even if they lost their best <clears throat> copy in the library, library of yeah. Alexander, how no other copies survived. Yeah, and so there's a lot of a lot of factors that goes into how we lose stuff through history of course what the material is recorded on is a big deal where it's housed who has it you know who knows there could be a volume of her shit someone somewhere Mm -hmm. in someone's attic but the one thing like that's the survival i know that's someone's gonna come home come forward in like a hundred years like (laughs) i have this by the way don't know what it is but it's been passed down Mm -hmm. it's just pieces of paper that's like every historian's dream Mm -hmm. because it's hard I think for historians who, especially for people who work in museums, I work in collections, I'm used to having a tangible piece or knowing that even if we don't have it in our collection, some Mm -hmm. collection in the world has this thing. And it's so hard to accept that we really could have lost the only complete copies. Yeah. And another big reason that contributed to the loss of her works is her works were written in a dialect of Greek known as Anatolian. Mm. And, uh, the amount of people speaking that as the years progressed lessened and so that meant less demand for Uh. her work so that's another reason why we don't have as much as what you would think even though she was such a big deal so yeah so this idea that christian's might have burned her work is plausible um however one of the ones that are apparently uh, determined to have burned her work was Pope Gregory. He was apparently, ah. people said that Pope Gregory hated her, so he burned her work. But apparently the same Pope Gregory was also known to quote from Sappho. So I don't know how true that was. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So 
throughout the years, her name never fully faded from, like, the public Mm -hmm. imagination. We see uh, mentions of her cropping up every couple centuries at least. Um, In 1732 is the first time that lesbian was used in writing with the modern definition. So to identify a woman who loved, loves women. Um, Sapphic uh, also became associated with this definition only a few years later. Romantics in the 19th century really loved the passion of her poetry, and uh, this is kind of the start of the modern revival of Sappho that has lasted to today. Mm-hmm. However, romantics appreciating the passion of her poetry did not necessarily meant they respected her as a lesbian woman, yeah. um, and this kind of renewed an interest in for by historians to kind of rebrand her and basically claim that none of her poems we can say are autobiographical so there's no way to know that she was actually interested in women and therefore she's a good christian woman and we can talk about her <laughs> yeah um, uh, classic victorians uh, yes. victorians are really the brunt of all of our jokes at this point. god i know um so the modern connection of lesbians and Sappho was lesbians to Sappho has been was majorly reinforced in the first few years of gay rights movements. I'm talking like in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, women loving women. WLW groups would name themselves after her or after something that's tangentially related to her in mm-hmm. order to hint to other women but not completely out themselves yeah. um, to form organizations. And as that movement has grown and as, you know, uh, like where there's this more emphasis towards gay history and learning more about that stuff. She has become more and more a public feature, a figure. So hopefully that means that maybe someday we'll have that. Someone will come forward with that tomb, um, yes. that book of hers in their attic. Um, but yeah, so that's Sappho. Uh, unfortunately, not a lot of solid information. I do think you can go buy like compilations of the few things mm-hmm. we do have from her. So if you're interested in that, you can look that up. Well, um, I think in stories like this, when we don't have information, it's still important to understand like just the impact of who they were of yeah. acknowledging that they were important and what little mm-hmm. we know is in, has very Absolutely. much shaped society. Yeah. And like I said, like she was a big deal and she wasn't just a big deal because it's that, you know, a history that we have to do a lot of times with women yeah. of like looking back and picking them out. Like yeah. she was a big deal in of her, her right. time. Yeah. So I think she definitely reserves the respect and I just really wish we knew more about her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's Sappho. So she sounds really cool. She sounds really cool. I wish I could have known her. I know. <sighs> anyway, well, that's all I have today. Well, that's that's really interesting. I'm I'm glad we had like different because yeah. mine was more modern than usual, and mine was like and yours was like literally ancient. ancient. <laughs> so like I think we had a good balance. Today. Yeah, but um, <sighs> this will be released while you're in Colorado, I think. So no, it no. won't. It'll be the oh, week right after. after. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, we'll probably do some more. We'll try to find some more fun, interesting Pride stuff. If y'all yes. have any that you really want to hear about, please let us know. Yeah. We would love to do a suggestion. Tweeter at us. Um, Tweeter at us. Twitter us. at Twitter at Cat. <laughs> yeah, at T I N A H L podcast. And email us. Please, we want to hear from you. Uh, and the Gmail is this is not history lecture at gmail.com. And yeah, I guess we'll be back. Uh, I'll have some stories from Colorado. So that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Are you getting your tattoo? 
Do you think no, you're gonna be able probably to? No, probably not. Okay. Just because I don't have the money. That's a moon. <laughs> I would have my body littered in tattoos if they were like five dollars. But unfortunately, that only they're like on Friday minimum. Minimum. There's seventy one or two that have a Friday the Thirteenth special. But those yeah. are very specific. You have to like get the pre Yes. Ones. Yeah, and I do want to get a Friday the thirteenth one, but I don't know if some people have like full Friday the thirteenth, which is cool, but do I don't know, know if it's for do? me. You should get a little witch on the broom next to the fairy you got. And they can just oh, hang out together. <sighs> one day. Next yeah. Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. Um yeah. So uh oh please, 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 please remember to what rate us on apple Podcasts? Oh. <laughs> why did i forget what i was talking about in the middle of my sentence you literally looked at me and i was like i don't know what you're saying please 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 rate us on apple Podcasts. it's like the number one way you can help us get our get the word out other than just like telling your friends and family because that would be really cool too um please do tell people and please. i'm gonna go tweet out probably tell me what your weird thing that you didn't learn till way too late yeah. was because now i'm curious you know what my numbers are uh, or mine are probably it took me a weird amount of time to like wrap my head around the century versus year thing. Oh um, yeah, like that's how the hard. 20th century is the 1900s. Yeah, and yeah. obviously, as you heard, literally just 10, 20 minutes ago, throws me off. Too. I still can't do it. But um, and then Roman numerals. I didn't get Roman numerals for the longest time. Oh no, it was that professor, that historiography professor. <laughs> he he was like, I'm gonna like guy. he's like, I'm not going to expect anything of y'all. I don't know what you learned in public school, but like did you learn Roman numerals? Now is the time to be honest with me. Yeah. And half the class was like covering their eyes, like, please don't <laughs> judge me. And he's like, okay. And I was like, at least it wasn't just me that yeah. never learned how they actually function until I got to college. And yeah. he went, he like gave us a great 30 minute explanation. And I was like, <sighs> love that man. Love it. Thank you for not expecting much I know. from us public I know. school kids. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So please let us know what yours were. There's no shame here. They're literally, absolutely. Isn't. I There's thought Marilyn no shame Manson here. was, Charles Manson's son, so. <laughs> so, yeah, let us know if you have anything like that. We'd love to hear it. And yeah. maybe we'll say it in the next episode if we get any. If you, yeah, but if you give us permission, we would love to. Absolutely. That would be, that would be so fun. We don't even have to say your name. We could just say, this person says. Anyway. Yeah. Well. Let us know. Let we'll us know. Talk to you soon. Please talk to us. As you can tell, we're desperate for attention. But. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And yeah, so this was not a history lecture. Bye-bye. Bye.